What is your aim in life? Now, big questions like that. You can't really sit there, can you, and think of the answer. It's too big a question. Maybe a sentence will help you. How would you finish this sentence? My life will be successful if I achieve... How do you finish it? It's, it's again, rather too big, isn't it? Let's, let's shift it from personal to this. What should be our aim as a church? How should we as a church finish this sentence? What we want to happen in Hollywell in 2019 is... How should we finish a sentence like that? Now, there are many good answers... And I'm not claiming that this morning I'm going to give you the only answer to those questions. I'm not even claiming I'm going to give you the best answer to those questions. But I'm going to give you one that's up near the top of good answers. It should be up near the top of our priorities as a church and yours as an individual. And the answer is Romans chapter 15 verse 13. Let's turn to that now. Romans chapter 15 verse 13. Page numbers and notes as usual on the notice sheet. Romans 15 verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why have I made such big claims for this verse claiming this sets one of the top aims for your life as an individual? And one of the top aims for us as a church, why such a big claim for this one verse? Well, this is basically the end of the teaching in Romans. Okay, there is more teaching afterwards, and we haven't finished our series in Romans, got a a few more weeks to go in that. But after this verse, it's mainly travel plans and greetings. This verse is in some ways, it's like it's concluding the teaching. This has been a letter which, I hope we've seen, is packed with logically explained and exalted gospel truth and it leads up to and concludes with this prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Clearly this is an aim that it's all been driving to. And what an aim it is. What a happy person a Christian is. Oh, some people say, Christianity will make you miserable. All those do's and those don'ts and restraining your freedom. Oh, Christianity will make you a nasty fanatic. No, nonsense. Christianity is about being filled with joy and peace and overflowing with hope. Now, for a long time, this verse has been a favourite verse of mine. But as we, as last week I got to it, and because uh, that's where we got to, hadn't we, in our series in Romans, I discovered I'd got this verse a bit wrong. Now, it's still a favourite verse of mine, but I've discovered more to it. You see, I thought it was all individual. It was all about me being filled with hope, joy and peace. But as I got to it, I found, oh, I've taken it out of context. In the context, it's about the church being filled. It comes at the end of a section, well, I'll say a bit about that section in a minute, the section that we looked at last week, about a church being full of peace and joy because of the hope we have. Now, of course, the church is made of individuals, so I'm aiming now to show both what this verse means for us personally and for us as a church. And here's the first thing it means for us. 
Uh, By the way, I'm not claiming I'm going to get through all this verse. Last week we did a chapter and a half in one go, and this week I'm failing to do a verse in one go, because there's just so much in it. But it does show us this. Aim for hope, joy and peace. Now, I'm going to repeatedly put hope, joy and peace as a threesome that go together, because they do go together. You can see that in the verse. They're put together. I'll try and demonstrate it this way. Children, have a look at this. Here I've got a glass. I've got some water. It's always there, rather convenient for me. And now, if I fill this glass with water, if I keep going, which I won't, because if I, if I keep going, will it overflow with orange juice? No, of course it won't, will it? Because I'm filling it with water. If I fill it with water and keep going, it will overflow with water, won't it? But look at our verse. It says, may God fill you with joy and peace so you overflow with hope. That's funny, isn't it? Clearly this joy and peace and hope go together. They're almost the same thing. Not quite the same, but very close. So I'm putting these together because the verse does and because... You can see it in life as well, can't you? If you don't have a hope for the future, you won't have joy and peace now. We'll come back to that later. I hope that's fairly obvious. So, hope, joy and peace go together and we must, here's the first thing, aim for the church to be characterised by hope, joy and peace. Let's remind ourselves what's going on here, and I know some of you weren't here last week, so let's get the context. In chapters 14 and 15, the Christians in Rome, this was a letter written to Christians in Rome 2,000 years ago, and they were falling out over what they ate. The Jewish Christians thought they should keep Jewish food laws, like don't eat pork. The non-Jewish Christians, they knew that doesn't matter, and they were right but they were acting wrongly about it. And they were falling out, and they were upsetting each other, and they were looking down on each other about food laws. That's what we saw last week in chapters 14 and 15. And so they were a church not at peace, or at least in danger of being not at peace. But God's plan is something better than that. God's plan is, well, it's in verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you. A church where people are at peace with each other. That plan is more than just peace. Verse 10. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. God's plan is people being joyful together. They're at peace together and they're joyful together. And that is because, verse 12, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. Children, do you know who the root of Jesse is? It's the person who comes from Jesse. He was the father of David. And he was a great king going to come. It's Jesus. And because Jesus has come, oh, we've got hope. And and that hope is bigger and better than any views about what you eat or all those things that people fall out over. And so there should be a church here with hope joy and at peace with each other. And so Paul prays that they would have that hope and it would bring them joy and peace instead of miserable fighting and grumbling about things like the church food and the other opinions they had. Now, if you turned up at the church in Rome and found the people arguing about should you or should you not eat pork and each group looking down on each other for their different opinions, 
You'd never think, oh, these people have the good news the world needs. But if you turned up at the church at Rome and found they're at peace with each other, they are joyfully praising God together, yes, they have some different views. Yes, they're not in agreement about every detail because it's not a cult that it imposes uniformity on everything. But they're not bickering and pushing about those things because they're too taken up with the joy of being loved by Jesus and the hope of going to be with Jesus. Now, if you found the church like that, you're likely to think, aren't you, These people have the good news the world needs. In other words, to use the words of verse 13, their hope may overflow to you and to the people around them. Aim for the church to be characterised by hope, joy and peace. Now, let's think about a group of people not having hope, joy, peace. Children, do you ever see the news? Yeah, at least one child in my family, when, when the news go, comes on, says, oh no, it's Brexit again. It's, it's a load of arguing, isn't it? So much arguing. That's what the news is like. Lots of arguments in Parliament, lots of arguments outside of Parliament. We're not a nation at peace, are we? We're divided. And there's not much joy, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry. Why? Because there's little hope about the future. There's pessimism. There's even fear about the future. And in case anyone thinks I'm making a political point, I'm not. This isn't just Brexit. Look across all of the West. There's an awful lot of pessimism and fear about the future. And so America, France, Greece, so many countries are divided countries, not at peace. Because there's not much hope about the future going round. People who don't have hope about the future aren't joyfully at peace with each other. They're each fighting their corner. But the church is not to be like that, no. Because we're to be a people who have hope and therefore are at peace with each other and joyful about that hope. Now that means the church needs to be made up of individuals who have hope, joy and peace. So let's move on now to aim for yourself to be characterised by hope, joy and peace. Let's think about this individually now. We don't have joy and peace when we put our hope in the wrong things. I hope that's fairly obvious, but let's, let's get some examples. Loughborough is a sporty town, isn't it? Mad on sport. So, some people's hope is health and fitness, or maybe even to be the best at their sport. Now, if that's your hope... I'm afraid to say you won't have peace, will you? Because, well, you might get ill, or you might get injured, and then your hope's gone. And you won't have joy, because there'll always be someone better than you, and you'll never be satisfied you're good enough. A completely different example for the unfit, or or just generally the rest of us. Forest side of town we live on, don't we? Many people's hope is a nice house. That's not a bad thing. But if it's your hope, you won't have joy and peace. Because you buy that nice house and after a while it looks dated. And you need to work it all over again. Or you get the nice house and you always have the what-if worry. Do you feel the what-if worry? What if bad neighbours move in next door and all the time it's the boom, boom, boom of their music? 
What if that incinerator gets built at Junction 23 and spews smoke over Loughborough and your house price drops? What if the new head next door proves not to be good and people it's no longer such a desirable area? What if? See, you can't really have much peace and joy if your hope is something as safe as houses. Houses aren't that safe. Yeah? Now, I don't think this is just me being like Eeyore. Children know who Eeyore is? Yeah, a character who always thinks it's going to go wrong. I don't think it's that. I think it's just me being realistic that our hopes, if they're less than God, are not certain enough to give us joy and peace. Children, I wonder if any of you, are ho- your hope is to be popular. You know, it's not a bad thing to be popular, but it will never give you joy and peace. Because you'll always be worrying, what do other people think of you? And popularity comes and goes. Don't aim for popularity as your hope. You won't have joy and peace. Well, what about sin? Does that bring peace and joy? Now, you know what I'm going to say because I'm the minister, but also think for yourself what it's like. What is it like, fellow Christian, when you sin? No peace, is there? If there is, your conscience is in a bad way and you should be very worried. No peace. Is there joy from sinning? Well, the Bible admits there is pleasure for a little while from sinning. But there's not joy, is there? Have you ever looked back on your sin and thought, I'm glad I did that, I'm really joyful I did that? Fellow Christians, why do we do it? Crazy, isn't it? We undercut our joy and peace, resist those sins. But there is a hope that can give you joy even when life is hard and give you peace even when life is uncertain. So let's move on to this. How do we get hope, joy and peace? We've seen we must aim for it as a church and personally, but how do we get hope, joy and peace? Now, this is where we see this verse is such a fitting end to the teaching of Romans. How do we get joy and peace and hope? Well, first of all, what does verse 13 tell you to do? What commands are there in verse 13? The answer is there aren't any. There aren't any commands. There aren't any instructions saying do this. It's a prayer, isn't it? It is asking God to do. May the God of hope do it. It doesn't tell you to do it. It's may the God of hope do it. So how do you get hope, joy and peace? From God. From God. Children here and adults too, I hope you realise Christianity isn't just a matter of you come to church, you learn more things, you get to understand more, you fit in with it more and you gradually become a Christian. I hope you're not thinking it's like that because it is not. You need God to work in you. Christianity, yes, it is an account of what God did at the cross that you must believe in, but it isn't just that. It's about what God does now. You need him to work in you. You need him to give you hope, joy and peace. If he doesn't give give it, you won't get it. We rely on we're in his hands. I don't see how you can become a Christian without feeling that. I'm in his hands and I need him to do this work in me. How do we get hope, joy and peace from God through the gospel? 
Now, again, this verse is a very suitable conclusion to the teaching in Romans. Romans has shown he's the God of hope. Hope offered to us in the Gospel. So, I'll quote some verses to you. Well, actually, I won't quote them. I'll just tell you. Don't worry about looking at them. Chapter 8, verse 32 has told us, because God gave his Son, his people have certain hope, he'll give us all we need. Chapter 8, verse 11 has told us, because Jesus rose from the dead, his people can have certain hope, he'll raise us from the dead. Chapter 8, verse 29 has said, because God's plan is Jesus to be head of a wonderful new creation, his people can have certain hope. We're part of a big plan. Young people, I'm told that young people want to be part of something big. Don't want just, you finish school, you go to university, you get a job and then you work, 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 and then you retire and then you grow roses in your garden and then you die. You know, they want to be part of something big. And the gospel offers you part of something big. A part in God's plan that Jesus should be made known around the world and save a people for himself and then come back and remake this world so we can be with him forever. That's something big. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the hope that Romans has been describing for us over its chapters. And it's that hope that can fill us with joy and peace. I knew a man called Michael who had health difficulties. They weren't very big health difficulties, but they did carry on, they went on. And he was miserable about it. Because some misguided Christians had told him, if you pray, God will make you better. And God didn't make him better. And so he all the time was going on about God cannot be trusted because of his fairly small health difficulties. He was miserable. But at the same time, I knew a woman called Kath who had far bigger health difficulties, really life-limiting health difficulties. And she was joyful because she was convinced of this. God has a hope for me that far outweighs my suffering here. Now, those two people, really, they're an example of something I've repeatedly found. I've repeatedly found that who has joy and peace doesn't match with who has the best circumstances. I've repeatedly found that who has joy and peace matches with who has the best grip on God's plan for us, the hope we have ahead. Just experience has shown again and again, it isn't who has the best circumstances. It is who has the best grip on the hope we have from God. How do we have joy and peace and hope? It's from God, it's through the gospel, it's as you trust. Now again, this is really suitable for ending Romans because it's been all about faith. Now verse 13, it doesn't tell you to do anything, does it? It tells us God does it. But if you take in your need of God doing this, you'll grasp hold of this. This doesn't just leave me to sit and wait. This doesn't just leave me sitting thinking, will God give me hope, will he not? I don't know. Well, I know hopefully by the time I die. It doesn't leave you like that. How do you like seeing baptisms? I remember going to see a baptism once. A friend of mine was being baptised. And the preacher said, 
ah, this is a joyful day that he's being baptised, but for some people here it's a sad day because they wish they were being baptised. And maybe they will one day, maybe they won't. And the impression was given, they just sit and wait and God might save them or he might not. That's dreadful. You'll never get that from the Bible. That sort of fatalistic despair. No, if you take in, I need God to do this, you'll also grab hold of this. Verse 13 is a prayer. And verse 13 says God does this for those who trust in him. Well, I'll pray and I'll trust him. Isn't that the obvious response? It says God does it, but it's a prayer and it's about those who trust him. So I will pray and I will trust him. Have you done that? Have you prayed? This is simple, isn't it? God, give me hope, joy and peace. Make me one of your children who has this hope, joy and peace. Do you trust God that he can and will answer prayers like that? You could pray that now, couldn't you? People around you might not know what's going on in your head, but you could. You could stop listening for the next half a minute and you could be praying that prayer. God, give me this hope, joy and peace. Make me one of these people who belongs to Jesus and has a share in his plan. Not difficult, is it? Will you pray it? Now, don't forget where this comes in Romans. We, we mustn't take it out of context. Let's remember that. Remember it comes in a section where we've read the Christians were falling out with each other. That the church was in danger of dividing. And the way to deal with that, we're being told, is to overflow with this hope. This brings joy and peace to a church. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone's apathetic about other things. It doesn't mean no one dares to say, can we have new, Christian, uh, new curtains in the lounge? Or are these new songs too focused on experience and not enough on God's character? Or is there a better way to deal with the crush when we're all trying to get our coffee afterwards? It doesn't mean no one's allowed to be bothered about such things and voice their bother. But it means it's a, it's a church where, yes, there will be discussion and there will be differences. But people will be too taken up with the hope we have to make a big deal over these things, to fall out over these things, because we're too busy being joyful about the hope we have. And that makes us at peace with each other. So we've had aim for hope, joy and peace. How do you get this hope, joy and peace? But then thirdly, prioritise this hope, joy and peace. I know that's almost the same as aim for it, but it's going to be slightly different. Prioritise this hope, joy and peace. Now, why did Paul write verse 13? Have a think about that. You see, it's a prayer, isn't it? And he could have just prayed it. And God could just answer it without them knowing it. He didn't have to tell them he's praying this prayer. He could have just prayed it for them and God could have just given it to them. Why did he write it? Why did he tell them his prayer? Well, I reckon it's because he wanted them to see this is what matters. Not your arguments about the church food and should you eat pork or not. He wants to shift their priorities. Not getting their way on these issues but getting hope, joy and peace. He wants them to get in line with God's agenda, hope, joy and peace, not them trying to get God in line with their agenda, which is much more 
unimportant matters. You see, he's trying to shift their priorities. He's trying to shift their agenda. So, in church, is your priority what the music is like? Or what the building is like? Or the way that we run things? Now, you might have good ideas on those that are worth us hearing and worth us doing, but they're not the priority. Oh, you say, oh, but, but, getting this right is important for our witness. We don't want people to come in and think that we're odd. Well, quite right, we don't. Well, there isn't much chance of them not thinking that. I'm not saying that just as a joke, but, you know, if we're honest, the, Christ- the world does think Christians are odd anyway. But we don't want to exaggerate that. Yes, I agree. That is important for our witness. But people finding we're characterised by hope joy and peace is far more important for our witness. People finding we're joyfully at peace with each other, not grumblingly at each other's throats. So this prayer has been put in the Bible so we make it our priority and we make it our prayer. So we overflow with a hope that the world around us needs. Paul told the Romans this prayer, so they prioritised this hope, joy and peace, rather than prioritise their opinions on all these issues that were dividing them, because pursuing their agenda would disrupt hope, joy and peace in the church. Now there's a parallel for us as individuals. Pursuing your agenda will not bring you hope, joy and peace, it will disrupt your hope joy and peace. If your focus is on what you are hoping for, it's going to disrupt any joy and peace you might have. I'll give you a true practical example that might interest the children, because it's about, well, a teenager actually it's about. This is true. Paul Miller is a Christian with a teenage daughter called Emily. And Emily was in the school hockey team. But the coach for the hockey team was always choosing his favourites. So Emily often had to spend a whole match sitting on the substitutes bench, not getting to play. Now, some of the teenagers and some of the parents were, not surprisingly, getting really annoyed about this coach having favourites. And they were grumbling about his favouritism. But Paul Miller spoke to Emily and he said, Now, you need to understand this. God's agenda is probably not for you to be a great hockey player. God's agenda definitely is something better for you, to be like Jesus. And learning how to respond to this coach treating you unfairly, well, that's part of making you grow to be more like Jesus. God has got something better he's doing for you. In other words, he's saying, get in line with God's agenda. Put your hope in what God offers, not your hope to be a great hockey player. Interestingly, taking that attitude meant Emily could be more at peace that actually did help her in her hockey playing. So do you see, getting in line with God's agenda, having his hope, leads to joy and peace. Those insisting on their agenda, they just get annoyance and irritation, not joy and peace. Now, you could multiply that across the many times that we don't get our way and things don't go how we'd like. And that is one of the reasons this prayer is in the Bible. It's saying, get in line with God's agenda. Prioritise this hope, joy 
and peace? Well, I started with a ridiculously big question, didn't I? What's your aim in life? I call it ridiculously big, but I hope you think about it, and I hope you have one. What's your aim in life? What should be our aim as a church? And one of the best answers is this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so onlookers say, This church must have good news worth knowing. This Jesus really does make a difference.